Welcome to AMDG. I'm Eric Clayton. On last week's episode, I introduced you to Australian Jesuit Father Michael Hansen. We talked about the first spiritual exercises, otherwise known as the 18th Annotation Retreat, and we dug into how this seemingly forgotten form of the exercises can transform our thinking and approach to Ignatian spirituality. If you missed that episode, I encourage you to check it out. Think of this week as part two. Father Rob McChesney, the Jesuit who introduced me to Father Hansen's work originally, is my guest today. Rob himself discovered the 18th Annotation Retreat only recently. He's just back from three years working with the Jesuit Refugee Service in Amman, Jordan, and he's reflecting on how the Jesuits might better minister to victims of trauma, refugees, war veterans, survivors of sexual abuse, and others. For Rob, the light bulb went off when he came upon Father Hansen's work. Our conversation is about applying Ignatian spirituality in general, and the 18th annotation in particular, to meet the needs of some of the most vulnerable members of our human family. I hope it gives you something to chew on, especially as you consider ways to put your own Ignatian contemplation into action. You can find more great spirituality resources at jesuits.org spirituality. Father Rob McChesney, thank you for joining us on the AMDG podcast. How are you doing today? Yes, sir. Good to see you again, Eric. Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Listeners may remember your voice from the uh, brief series that we did um, on your time in Jordan. You were were one of the Jesuits that that showed me around. Yes, uh, almost three years I was there with uh, JRS. Uh Uh-huh. Loved it. Yeah, and and um, and you had kind of a, a a crazy situation where you you left right, and then um, and then COVID happened, and 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 now <laughs> you I came back, back for a uh, family wedding, my niece in Dallas, March fifteenth, planning to return to Jordan uh, April three, and I'm still here. Uh, yeah, well, and and you have a whole new a whole new assignment, and and where are you based now? So now. Uh, I'm based at Warnersville, Pennsylvania, the Jesuit Center for Spiritual Growth. So uh, it's where I did uh, novitiate. So I'm back home and I'm part-time here guiding, uh, directing retreats and part-time mission by the provincial to work on a new manuscript, a new retreat. Awesome. And we'll, and we'll talk about that because I think that your, your current placement at a, a, you know, a, a retreat center focusing on, on giving the exercises and, and guiding people through retreats is, is very pertinent to, to our conversation today on the first spiritual exercises. But, but before we, we dive into that, I want to give listeners a sense of, um, of your background and, and kind of what your Jesuit life has been like. Because um, you've you've done a lot of work with refugees and with with migrants, and you've been around the world. So I wonder if you might give us the the, the brief elevator uh, uh, speech on 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 your uh, your Jesuit journey. Yeah, so I've worked with uh, Je- Jesuit Refugee Service has been the you know most formative influence in my Jesuit life, my priesthood. I have thirteen years total. Most recently, in Amman, Jordan. Jordan. Um, Oh, so much to that population. I've been a, a prison chaplain and an immigration detention center in Los Angeles Harbor. Majority of the folks were Mexican. The second largest uh, group was Chinese young women. Uh, I've worked with JRS in southern Mexico with the Guatemalan Maya uh, refugee population in the early 90s. I've been director of JRS USA and most recently, uh, yeah, almost three years in a mind working with refugees there. 
So yeah, it's the key experience of my Jesuit life. And, and it's it's proving particularly um, formative and, and important now as as you as you begin to work on this manuscript and as you begin to adapt the first spiritual exercises. And um, so I don't want to get ahead of myself with with my questions, but um, you know what we we uh, our listeners heard heard our interview with uh, Father Michael Hansen, uh, the Jesuit yeah. uh, priest in Australia, who. Um, who wrote the first spiritual exercises? I know you've um, you've spoken with him as well. Um, I wonder if you might give us a sense of of when you were first introduced um, either to Mick or or even just to these the first spiritual exercises themselves, what they were to you, how you how you first discovered them, and, and what you saw them to be. Yeah, the segue there. I was in uh, Amman working with refugees and uh, doing a lot of interviewing uh, of them. These were, these were primarily Muslims from Darfur, Western Africa, and um, they had been through brutalizing experiences and um, traumatizing experiences. And once I gained their trust, they would tell me the stories. And so that was leaving me kind of what I now call, what I've learned to call vicariously traumatized. I didn't know the mm. terminology then. But anyway, I was just um, thinking that how can the Society of Jesus and our partners help this population more? And so I, I came back, as I described, got caught in this country by COVID. So I said, I got all this time. I was at Georgetown staying in place for 10 weeks, March, April, May. And I just started doing research, like how, what do we do? What's, what's a good delivery vehicle? What can the society do and with our partners that's not being done? Uh, you know, long story short, uh, some, uh, a fellow Jesuit um, had given me a copy of McCanson's book, First Spiritual Exercises, five years ago. Had never read it, but it was sitting there. And while at Georgetown, looking at that book in the midst of a lot of research, you know, it was one of the kind of these, you know, light goes on, Holy Spirit things. It was like, bingo, this is the delivery vehicle. I knew I knew what Mick was doing, more or less. This is the delivery vehicle I've been looking for, for this population. And I've been, that was... Uh, June 1, around then, and I haven't looked back. It, I believe what Mick has done with his first spiritual exercises can be adapted uh, to serve in a particular way this a prop population that's been traumatized. So um, just in case listeners uh, are not familiar with First Spiritual Exercises or haven't had a chance to listen to our, our previous episode, um, maybe you can give a sense of how you view the First Spiritual Exercises. What, what, um, kind of how would you define them? And then um, what about that definition really spoke to you as, hey, this is how I can help to minister to those who have been traumatized? Yeah, good question. Um, what he's done, uh, Mick, is... It's really a variation of the 18th annotation retreat, which is to say that's something that we have from Ignatius. That's an adaptation from Ignatius himself. Uh, and it's a very light, flexible model. Um, you take kind of key prayers from the spiritual exercises, but you can adapt them to virtually any need and any population. Ignatius himself says, and McCanson 
I think was the first prophetically to kind of recapture this in the modern age. We need to use our imaginations and be creative because Father Ignatius tells us to, in this 18th note to the spiritual exercises, he says, basically, be flexible. Where is the need greatest? Then take these exercises and flexibly adapt them. They don't have to go away for 30 days. Um, you can do something at home. You can do something even, these are my words, I think make would agree, if you're not Catholic. I mean, my adaptation of Mick's adaptation, it can work for any religious people. But Mick was kind of the first one. He kind of saw this. And I see it as kind of a call to use our imaginations uh, with a very creative delivery vehicle of the exercises. He got it. I um I think he absolutely would agree with you that this you know as this exercise these exercises are so flexible and so um available to us and I I mean um you know I I do them out in my porch like with a baby on one knee and a toddler on the other you know so it's um you know it's it's I that's the beauty of it is it, it just it meets you where you are um I wonder you know. I find them to be such a powerful form of prayer, a very simple, powerful form of prayer. I wonder why is it that you and I are talking about them as though they're brand new, as, as though we, we've just discovered them? Why? How did they? I talked with, with Mick a little bit about this as well, but I wonder um, what's your sense of, of why they're not more um, readily knowable in, in, in the modern era? Yeah. One reason I believe is. I, I, w- I was reading one of the, yeah, I've been reading all of the, the big name experts on the exercises, names you would know, um, some alive, some deceased. And one of them um, suggests that the, the pure model of the spiritual exercises, which is to go away to a retreat house uh, for 30 days, that kind of a retreat is more valuable. It's more pure. It's it's the most significant model. Um, it's the one we should all aspire to. Well, I, personally, I don't read Ignatius that way, but I think most Jesuits down the ages have come to internalize that perspective. The optimal model, the, the one if you're really with it spiritually, holy, aspire to holiness, you go away for 30 days uh, to a retreat house. Uh, so I think um, one result has been we haven't, we've lost our imagination to realize for Ignatius, there were adaptations of that model and they're right at the beginning of the exercises. So as a, as a Jesuit related to that, you know, I never heard about any other model. Um, I came here as a novice in 1973, here to Warnersville. It used to be a novitiate. And from then to now, I've never heard any talk about, any significant talk about uh, uh, the 18th century model, the first spiritual exercises. You hear about the 19th annotation, which people can make at home over six to nine months but no one has talked about it in my lifetime. And I think it's because it's been seen as a, uh, uh, you know, inferior model. 
I think it's probably related. Uh, why now the first spiritual exercises, the 18th annotation? Why are we hearing now? I think it's related to Vatican II and the call, the, the recognition that the most significant sacrament is baptism. So if you're going to deliver the spiritual exercises to most busy, baptized, working Christians, married, families, whatever, you need a more flexible model than going away for 30 days. Uh, so I think the spirit is at work uh, helping us to recapture this uh, opportunity from Ignatius. I, it also occurs to me that um, it, it almost feels like, you know, when when the printing press enabled everyone to have access to the Bible and read the Bible for themselves or, or when, um, you know, just just that empowerment of of lay folks or, or um, regular folks that kind of demystify in some ways these great spiritual truths that that, that it, it's ex- more accessible. And and, you you know, it's not, you know, the spirituality I encounter with God isn't set aside for the, you know, the elite or the privilege, but but in fact is there for everyone. Um, I wonder to, to you as you you're obviously um, spending your time at a retreat center now. Um, what's the balance between in your mind between um, making these accessible to everyone? Everyone gets one. Everyone can go off and do it themselves. And then the role of a spiritual director. How does how does the director help to kind of keep people on the path? Because certainly uh, there's always you know room for error in in the spiritual life and and kind of going down the wrong path if if you don't have someone that can kind of keep calling you back. So you're asking about uh, giving the exercises in person here? What is well, the... Just just the, the, the first spiritual exercises, ah. you know, ha- being being that so accessible to people. Okay. Um, but but again, uh, okay. you know, like me, like I don't have a director on my porch with me, you know. So <laughs> so how do, how what's that balance? Is it, yeah, that that may be the sixty four thousand dollar question with my own adaptation of Mick's adaptation. Now you'd have to ask, I think Mick would say, you know, the a guide, perhaps online, ideally in person, some sort of a conversational partner, a director is preferable, ideal. Um, and I would, I would agree in terms of Mick's retreats, uh, preferable, ideal, that there's someone be available because as everybody knows who's familiar with the exercises, yeah, you can go astray and guess what? There's a there's a beast that wants you to go astray, and that's according to Ignatius, the enemy, the evil spirit, the devil, and he's I believe he's real, frankly, uh, without gender. That enemy is watching this conversation, this process, wants it to go astray. Um, in 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 the manuscript in the retreat I'm working on, since it deals with trauma. I'm increasingly convinced that it's almost a requirement that people who make this retreat have a conversation partner online, in person. You're just dealing with people, uh, you know, who who uh, are in a delicate frame of mind and soul. Now, I'm still working that out, uh, and I'm in conversation with people like you and others. Um, but I, as I say. It may be the $64,000 question that has to be resolved, perhaps with a little experience. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a hard balance to strike, I, I imagine. L- let's get into your, your project. Um, and, and let's just start by, um, um, by, by, by I want to go back to that moment where you said, hey, 
this this is the way I could uh, or the society can minister um, in a new way to those people who have experienced trauma. How how why what about the first spiritual exercises um, and your own experience of working with folks that have experienced a variety of traumas kind of made you see that alignment? Yeah, well, um, as I say, my experience trauma is a given when you walk with when you walk with this population and um if you truly identify with them you're going to probably be dealing with vicarious trauma yourself um how do you get it how about this what about the spiritual exercises is significant there um in my case, it was a drawing from some of what Mick did. It was going back to the sources, specifically uh, Ignatius was wounded at Pamplona. A lot of traumatized people, war veterans, refugees, victim survivors of sexual assault. They've been wounded, often physically. Um, Ignatius, Inigo at that time, healed at the castle. He was physically healed when he left from Montserrat, when he went to Manresa, but only his shooting war had ended. The spiritual war was ongoing, and that's Manresa. For 11 months, he did battle with the enemy. He did interior battle with the enemy. Um... So there is where I began to see Inigo as traumatized, to take a modern word. And I know the specialist might want to argue, but what are the symptoms? Stop me. But what are the symptoms of trauma? The experts will tell you it, it's the same thing Ignatius Inigo records in his notebook. Nightmares. Okay, he was seeing serpents in his nightmares. Um, shame, overwhelming shame. Suicidal ideation. He was very close to committing suicide. So I began to see in this Manresa episode the spiritual battle, which reflects the trauma of these other populations I mentioned. And what Mick had done was to show me a delivery vehicle uh, at home, a short duration of time, 28 days. That's authentically Ignatian um, that I'm, I'm now trying to adapt for this particular population. Why, um, why a retreat? I know, I know you're, you've titled it A Retreat from Hell. Why, why that title? Tell, tell me a little bit about that title and a little bit about kind of the more of the, the project uh, kind of goals and, and process. Yeah. Uh, retreat from Hell. The, the, the uh, 18th Annotation Retreat or First Spiritual Exercises, uh, it's very clear in Ignatius's text in the Spiritual Exercises. Um, they're a short form. They're an adaptable form. Um, they focus on the first week of the exercises, okay? The first week of the exercises focuses on 
God's mercy and God's uh, and our sin. And if you know the first week of the exercises, it culminates in the fifth meditation on hell. So it was just an instinctive kind of a thing based on my experience with um, some people you know, Eric, because you were there in Amman and met some of these refugees, um, some of whom are Muslim, as I say. But these guys were going through hell. Their symptoms were hellish. And that's, the light went on for me. Many, many people who give the exercises today don't know what to make of the fifth meditation of the first week on hell. Because many people today, postmodern world, scientific world, you know, devil. Do you believe in the devil? You know, it's it's we've we've lost some of that. So some people offering the exercises, I think, need assistance to uh, so that we can rehabil- rehabilitate that meditation from the first week by Ignatius. You want to know what hell is? We don't have to do a lot of theology. You you ask people, they will tell you their experience. That's hell. And there you're, you're tapped into people's experience immediately. You're giving them the permission they need to talk. And one of the symptoms of trauma is you hide, chain. One of the principles, Ignatius's principles of rules for discernment, the enemy wants to remain hidden. Hell, you want to remain hidden. Trauma, you want to remain hidden. So one of the functions of this rehabilitated meditation on hell is to give people the opportunity to talk to you about their wounds. It's interesting to me that you... Um... It sounds like like your experience of of a lot of these folks that have experienced such a hellish moments or series of moments or many years um, has has given you insight into this you know nation uh, meditation that a lot of folks don't have and and I I mean I I can just you know from the, I remember one night when when we were together in Amman uh, you would lined up. I don't, I don't know, 20, 30, uh, uh, young folks, uh, young refugees to talk for me to talk to. And, and I spent what, two, three hours with just kind of these conversations. And, and mm-hmm. I remember feeling, Oh my goodness, like, like heavy and, and burdened. So I, I can only imagine that you're drawing from three years, three plus years with all your other additional experiences. What, what knowledge of God, what experience of God, um, or, or deeper understanding of God have you, kind of gotten your arms around from these conversations with so many people that are, that are kind of coming through hell as, as, as you've said. Well, God's mercy, it's, it's underlined um, the extensive, the profound nature of God's mercy um, for me and something that I want to communicate to this population. Um, And, this population, when you talk to them, um, there's so much shame, either about, uh, most often because of things they've seen, 
things they've seen done to their parents, their sisters, their brothers, but sometimes also done to themselves. Um, there's so much shame that uh, they feel beyond, beyond God's mercy. Mm. And so I have you know, gone back and looked closely. And guess what the grace of the first week of the spiritual exercises is? It's God's mercy. And this is why, you know, the, uh, focus on the first spiritual exercises, 18th annotation makes so much sense. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, your listeners uh, are familiar with uh, the Jesuit Jim Keenan at Boston College, moral theologian. He's written some great stuff. One of his books on mercy, his definition of mercy is God's willingness and readiness to enter into our human chaos. And man, that captures Ignatius. That captures the first week. That captures the uh, first spiritual exercises. It seems to me mercy. Um, God's willingness to enter into our chaos. And what I've seen in people traumatized, war vets, refugees, victims, survivors of... uh, sexual assault, maybe COVID, people traumatized by COVID, their their lives have become chaotic. And in the midst of the chaos, many feel beyond God's mercy. It it becomes a religious issue for many. And so back to square one, God's mercy. God wants to engage with you, everyone, with his mercy. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful and foundational truth where we, we can kind of sit back and rest in, right? That God desires, um, you know, you know, to, to be be present with us, to be part of our lives, in our lives. And, in and our chaos. In our chaos. Um, I, I, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about the um, potential for, for inter, the interfaith nature and the religious nature of, of this work. Um, and so I wonder, too, kind of uh, bringing you back, um, into these conversations of mercy and um, forgiveness and, and healing. Um, you know, those, those are, those are principles that cut across religions. Uh, you know, what, how, how did those, how did that kind of interreligious dialogue um, go for you or as you were, I know, I know you facilitated a number of classes where, where that was a real, yeah. um, you know, palpable issue. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. The, um, you know, if I had not had the benefit of, Three years in the East, you know, on the far side of the Jordan River in an Arab Muslim context. Jordan is uh, 96% Muslim. Um, And working uh, with JRS, I was the mission and identity uh, promoter. And more than half the staff at JRS were Muslim. And they were my people. They were the ones I was, you know, trying to support the staff, as well as the refugees. So one thing we introduced, um, whenever we gathered as JRS Jordan staff, uh, we prayed. And I I learned, I had studied Islam, so I I had a leg up. I knew that uh, Allah was the all-compassionate, the all-merciful. But until you're, you know, you walk in their shoes, you don't think of this stuff. And so... um, with some of the ones I was closest to, I asked the staff, I said, 
do you think it's a good idea that we pray before our meetings? And they all looked at me like it was crazy. Of course, Father. Because most of them are religious people. It's like, duh, why aren't we praying? So, okay, how do we pray? We start with the Bismillah, the, the most familiar prayer to a Muslim, which talks about God, Allah, the most compassionate, the most merciful. Um, and then we said we did that in Arabic. The Muslims would lead it. Uh, many of the Christians spoke Arabic and would also pray it. And then we had one of the Christian staff pray the Our Father. And the Muslims were invited to join in that in English. But my point is, without that sort of experience, it's hard to imagine how welcome many Muslims are, how, how comfortable many Muslims are, how religious many Muslims are, and how foundational is mercy in their theology. Except God is all compassion, all merciful. So that was kind of the eye-opener. Like, dang. <laughs> Ignate, the first way of the spiritual exercise is the grace is mercy. How can we not be working on this together? And in the 21st century, how can we not be interreligious? Man, I wish our interreligious uh, conversations often began with mercy and, and compassion in our in our in our current discourse, and and not elsewhere, as it so frequently does. Um, last question: uh, as as kind of you can put on your mission and integration. Hat. Um, as as you look at the the work you're doing, trauma work, um, you know, and the exercises, what what is your hope uh, for the future of this kind of work uh, for the mission of the society uh, writ large? Yeah, you know, I've been pondering that the uh, this Ignatian year is coming up, so you know, we're all looking for a a big uh, shot in the arm, I guess. <laughs> you know, we're all imagining what what might happen for this. 500th anniversary of uh, Ignatius's conversion. So what? Here's what I'm playing with. Um, interestingly, the the so the, this 500th anniversary year and the, these universal ap- apostolic preferences, uh, the 500th anniversary celebrates Ignatius's the 500th anniversary of his conversion in Pamplona. He was he was wounded May of twenty May of fifteen twenty one, okay, and then he went on to uh, Loyola and he was converted. Um, but you know, there's nothing in this Ignatian year about the quincentenary of the spiritual exercises. I found that uh, um, something's missing. Because the spiritual exercises were born in 1522. The anniversary will be 2022. So what I would, you know, my dream is to take this opportunity, take Mick Hansen's work, his his groundbreaking work, and by the grace of God, this retreat, if we can get it off the ground, and recall that um, the exercises are available to almost everyone in Ignatius's mind, and not just Christians, not just Catholics, there are adaptations. So how would I concretize that for the uh, U.S. Jesuit network? What about this? 
can this can the first spiritual exercise is the 18th annotation retreat generate a Christo Ray renovation of spirituality. So the Jesuits in Chicago, Father John Foley, you know, people know about his inspiration. And we know there's now 50 plus Christo Ray schools reaching. They they developed a delivery vehicle for at-risk students. And it has exploded by the grace of God, the goodness of human beings. I believe that with this new delivery vehicle of the spiritual exercises, or my prayer, my hope is, we may see an explosion of interest along those lines, uh, which will involve many more people making the exercises, but it's also going to involve maybe developing resources within the Ignatian network, guides, conversation partners, um, just to make sure there's enough support for all these people. So that's my dream. I think it's a good dream. I think if we were able to better meet the needs of those who have experienced trauma and, 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 and provide the exercises in a way that can, uh, you know, meet the needs of those who are, are, are struggling emotionally and, and, you know, with mental health and, all the many things that I think we're gonna we're gonna see as we come out of this uh, this pandemic, God willing, um, I, I think that would be a, a, a worthwhile dream to pursue. Well, Rob, always a pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Indeed, and Eric. Nice to see you. Thank you for uh, for joining us on today's AMDG, and uh, I'll look forward to hearing more about your your project. Let's talk later, Eric. Thanks, Rob. Inspired by our conversation? Want to get involved? Father Rob is looking for folks who are engaged in accompanying those affected by trauma. Healthcare workers, therapists, social workers, and others. If you are such a person and are interested in volunteering to help Father Rob develop and test his retreat materials, you can email him at rmcchesney, that's rmcchesney, at jesuits.net. His contact info will also be in our show notes. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan-Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.